We won't fear the battle, we won't fear the night. We will walk beside thee with you by our side. You will go before us, you will lead the way. We have found a refuge, only you can save. Sing for joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, say, you will cheer me onward with never-ending grace. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Neither height nor depth can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave his Son to free us holds me in his love. Neither height nor death can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave his Son to free us holds me in his love. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Shall come again. Pray. 
upon our hearts. His name is written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're pouring out a song of praise together upon prison ministry, we have the opportunity to see lives transformed. We're so grateful for Vivian Skillman's leadership in that. You can see her sitting over here at the table. Malvin, if you would go ahead and make your way up here. Malvin Sadler is a former inmate. He has been touched by the ministry of uh, 
our church, writing to him, praying for him, uh, believing in him. And now a liberated gentleman who wants to come and share his testimony with us. You step right here, wherever you want, hold this mic. Malvin said that he could take the entire service because God has done so much in his life, but he's going to try to do it in five minutes. So Malvin, it is an honor to have you here, my friend. Hey, Amen. It's, um, it's truly a blessing to be here and um, to be in front of God's people. Um, Y'all are very beautiful. I mean, we're a spiritual family and uh, it's a blessing to be in front of God's people, but I just want to thank you all for having me. Um, me and Vivian, my spiritual mother, we talked about this many years ago. Um, my, once again, my name is Malvin Sattler. Um, I gave my life to uh, Christ in August 2014. But um, <laughs> since then, uh, God has worked tremendously in my life. Um, He's done many miracles. Um, I've been to prison three times. I spent all my 20s, 30s, and started my 40s in prison. I turned 44 Thursday, November the 11th. But uh, this is my first birthday in the free world in 13 years. Um, I'm going to be working that day. But uh, he gave me five minutes, so I'm going to just... Uh, read this brief testimony. It says, hello everyone, my name is Malvin Sattler. I was recently incarcerated with a 60 year sentence in December 2008. They gave me the sentence and trial September 2010. My parole date read 1st December 2038. And that was my parole date when I went to prison. My parole date was 2038 and what year is it? So that was when I was supposed to see him. Now, I might have not would have made that parole, but, uh, you know, God is still in the miracle working business. That's a miracle. Y'all looking at America right here in front of y'all face. But uh, it says, I came to the understanding after that I needed help outside myself. So I cried out to God one night, and he gave me peace within like that peace that surpasses all understanding. And um, like I said, he, he started moving in my life. I started reading his word. Um, I started getting involved in all types of classes. And uh, like during this time, I lost my mom in 2015. And uh, in 2016, that's when he sent Vivian Skillman into my life. So she became my spiritual mom. And uh, man, I really love her and got a lot of respect for her because she has taught me a lot and she's been there very faithful. And uh, I experienced God through the love of God in her heart, truly. So that's why I had to come today. I had to be here. It was a must. I, I would drop anything to be here today. But it says uh, to trust him and know him is God. I lost, I lost my mom in 2015. Um, I lost a closest sister in 2021. He sent me a beautiful spiritual mom who is Vivian Skillman. Also the help of the Westgate Memorial Baptist Church 
So I thank y'all, uh, the prison ministry, for sending the cards, the testimonies, uh, the puzzles, and just being there for us. Just a letter can, can touch somebody, uh, lift somebody up, and encourage somebody because it done me plenty of times, and I'm thankful for it. Um, I just want to thank God for changing me inside and out and adding new positive people to my life. I experienced God in so many different ways through the heart of inmate ministry. I just want to thank Pastor McHenry for allowing me to share in his church. Vivian Skillman for all the love, time, and support she has given to us behind bars. Also, everyone that helps her in the ministry. God reduced my parole date to 2015 is why I'm able to share today my story. Thank you. I love y'all. All right, can I say a pr quick prayer before I leave? I like to pray over y'all. And you can pray, but we'd like to pray for you. Amen. So if you don't mind just standing down here, and we'd like for people to come and stand around you and to pray and just remind you that we are standing with you. So if y'all would just make your way, whoever would like to, just to stand around Malvin. prayers and we are so grateful to see the wonder-working power of Christ in Malvin's life. Thank you for his willingness to surrender completely to you and allow you to use him to touch the lives of so many. We stand here today in 2021 recognizing that he's not even supposed to be coming up for parole for another 17 years. Yet here he is. Thank you for changing him. I pray that your spirit would reside powerfully within him that you would continue to strengthen him each and every day. Temptations will be so strong that come against him. Lord, he would stand firm. He would know the, the power of your spirit, helping him and strengthening him, holding him in your righteous right hand. Lord, may he always remember this moment too, of the Christians at Westgate surrounding him in prayer, believing in him, believing what you are doing through him. So God, today, collectively, we ask that your favor and blessing would be upon him. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Let's continue in this time of worship as we sing. What a friend we have in Jesus.
precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds and nothing I desire compares to God, may nothing in our lives become more important than you. May our minds, affection, and our hearts, devotion be focused on you and you alone. There's nothing that can compare to you. You use the, th the thing that's of the things that's most valuable here in this world, gold. We consider it very valuable. You use it as pavement. What is valuable is you. Your love for us, the gift that you've given us of redemption. As Warren makes his way down, remember that today is Warren and Trisha's eighth anniversary with us. We're grateful to have you guys here. And, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing how many things Warren does just by us being in this room right now is a reminder of what all he does. And when we go back into the sanctuary, same thing. All the many things that he does behind the scenes to make things work. Uh, this room came together rather quickly in a very unusual way, and I'm thankful for him in the many ways that he ministers here at our church. And to know that it was a very providential move here because both of their kids got married once they got to Beaumont. Amen. That'd be a good time for you to say amen, Peter. This, uh, the... <laughs> and again, Vivian and Malvin, thank you for the ministry that you've given us today as we worship together. Uh, Vivian, let's recognize all the people that are part of the heart for inmates. Those of you that are writing, would you, uh, writing a part of this ministry, would you stand up just to let us know who is involved in helping out with these uh, incarcerated folks? You're making a huge difference. And you can feel like it's, it's kind of intimidating, and it can be. You know, what do I say? How do I do this? But you see the results of what is happening there. It makes a difference. And so Vivian will be over here. You see her right there at the table. Uh, afterwards, if you want to become a part of making a life change like you see in Malvin, we could certainly need more writers, more contributors, more helpers, more everything, right? 
So see Vivian after the service. Well, this morning we come to chapter 20 of the great interruption in John's gospel as he reminds us of the greatest interruption of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John already knows that there are three Gospels that have been written decades before he wrote his. And so he's going to give us a little bit different angle. And one of the things he's going to help us to be reminded of is fact number one, Jesus has risen. The resurrection is a centerpiece of preaching because it validates that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, as Paul would state in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. It is proof positive that he is the Son of God. It's central to Christianity, and that's why Paul declared that our faith, your faith, my faith, our faith is absolutely worthless if Jesus Christ has not been resurrected. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, two different times, Jesus would say, it's of no value to believe in Christ if he has not been resurrected from the dead. The resurrection is even key to our salvation because it demonstrates that Jesus has defeated the power and the penalty of sin, that is death. Jesus defeated death. Romans 10, 9, Paul would say that salvation requires the acknowledgement of the resurrection. He would say, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection is central to Christianity. This will be the second time that John describes grave clothes in his gospel. Previously, he did that in John chapter 11 when he was talking about Lazarus, when Jesus brought him back to life. You recall that Lazarus came out of the grave, what? Wearing his grave clothes. And we're going to see that that was a very strategic miracle in John's gospel. And he's going to tie the two together. Lazarus would die again, wouldn't he? And the difference between Lazarus being brought back to life and Jesus' resurrection is Jesus would never die again. And we're going to see that he didn't come out of the grave wearing grave clothes. Now, during that time in history, Greeks and Romans would often cremate their dead. But the Jews, uniquely and specially and providentially, wrapped their dead in what was called, get this, swaddling clothes. Have you ever heard that term before? They would wrap their dead in swaddling clothes and strips of linen. And then the head would be wrapped separately. This method of figuring time for the Jews, because some people always wonder about that when you talk about the resurrection. Jesus said he was going to be dead for three days, three days, three nights, like Jonah in the belly of the whale. And we say, well, wait a second. If he died on Friday, resurrected on Sunday, how does that work? But remember that the Jews, Greeks, and Romans, all three, everyone in that culture in that time, considered a day to be any part of one day. So if you experience one minute in Friday, that was considered Friday. And so it was three days that Jesus was in the grave. We noticed that his head covering, talking about it being a fact, the stone was rolled away and you could see the head covering in there. It still was there and it was folded neatly to remind us that this was not a robbery. There was no haste in getting this body out of there. Truth is, the stone was rolled back not because Jesus needed it to get out so that we could see in to see what had happened. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6? Paul was saying that Jesus, the fact of his resurrection was proved by, the, by, by just the, the, the fact that one time alone, 500, 
hundred people saw Jesus. That's twice the number of people in this room right now were there with Jesus at one point. Seven weeks after the resurrection, this story would be told again to thousands of people in Jerusalem. If it were not true, it would have created a riot. But instead, it created a revival. So as John takes us to this 20th chapter of his gospel, and we have this great interruption in which we are forced to address this reality, we come to fact number two, that everyone reacts to fact number one. Jesus has risen, and everyone reacts to that reality. Either they deny it, casually accept it, or embrace it as the single most significant event in all of history. Somewhat like COVID, and masks, and vaccines. Everybody has a reaction to it. And if you don't believe that, just ask me. Our church spans a spectrum. Probably shouldn't say this, but I'll tell you anyway. Our church spans a spectrum of believing that everybody should have a vaccine to believing that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. All right here. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a reaction. And the same is true of the resurrection. Robert Ingersoll was the attorney general of Illinois. He lectured extensively during his life for the propagation of agnostic beliefs because he didn't believe in God. And he would stand up in front of crowds and he would shock them by railing out, if there is a God, let him strike me dead. And then he would say, I'll give him 10 minutes. He died in 1899. But many react to the resurrection much the way he did, to deny its reality. So in Scripture, we have at least 10 different appearances after the resurrection. And we'll begin to look at a couple of those that John referenced in his gospel. Reactions to the resurrection. The first is to be aware, but relatively unchanged. Turn with me to John chapter 20, and let's look at this passage of Scripture together. I'd like to read the first 10 verses, and, and we'll kind of make some notes about it. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. I love the way they. Have you ever said, well, they did this and they did that? Mary did that. They, they did it. I don't know who they are. And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You ever wonder why John threw that in there? Just kind of showing off a little bit that he got to the tomb before Peter did. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Sounds so much like Peter, doesn't it? Do not stop, Pasco, just straight in. He saw the strips of linen there lying uh, as well as a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen strips. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So then the disciples went back 
to where they were staying. Again, John is writing from hindsight. He is writing 60 years after this experience. On this first Easter morning, notice the absolute state of chaos that is taking place among Jesus' followers. Did you hear the word running mentioned several times? They're trying to figure out what has happened. And we're talking about a culture in which men did not run. It adds to the excitement of what's happening. John saw the crucifixion, and he wondered what in the world has happened to the body that he saw die on the cross. So go back to the scripture. We find that when Peter got there, he took a very long, careful look at what he saw inside the tomb. That is the same word, talking about the way that he looked, the same word for theater. Some of you are going to go see C.S. Lewis uh, this afternoon, the movie. Some of you saw it Wednesday. Same word, theater. It means to be engaged, to look intently at what is going on. But then Luke would say, when the report got back to the disciples and really kind of noting that the chronology is a little bit uh, confusing here, that when the women first took the message back to the disciples, they thought the whole thing was, quote, nonsense. They were aware that something had happened, but they were relatively unchanged in their lives. Reminds me a little bit of what happened in Acts chapter 12, verse 15, if you recall the story, in which the church is praying for Peter's release from prison. Do you remember what happened? Peter was actually released from prison. You like the story, Malvin. He goes to where they're praying, where they're having the prayer meeting. He's standing at the door knocking, and Rhoda answers the door. She's a servant girl. She answers the door, sees Peter. She's so shocked at the answer to the prayers that she closes the door and goes back to the prayer meeting. And she says, Peter is standing at the door. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 15, those who were praying for Peter's release responded to the woman who had seen Peter at the door and said, you're out of your mind. It's kind of the way it was on the resurrection. Nobody, nobody has something like that happen to them. You imagine from our culture, if you were a part of a funeral service and somebody you dearly loved passed away. You went back several days later to lay flowers on the freshly dug grave, only to find that the grave has been opened up, the casket is to the side, and it's empty. You would be horrified. You would be angered. You would be upset. But as we see here that Peter and John, John says that he believed, yet it says they went back to where they were staying. Let me ask the question. Does that describe some of us that we're aware that Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead to demonstrate that he truly is the son of God? And for most days, we simply go back to what we were doing. Much of the world is that way. Aware that there's talk or belief in the resurrection, but it completely has no impact on someone's life. That's one of the reactions. But then, but then John turns to Mary Magdalene. What an incredible story. If you, if, you were trying to, if you're trying to convince people of something that's not true, you don't start out with a woman in that culture and say, she's our key witness. But that's how John does it. John is not trying to create an argument. This is 60 years later. He says, it's an established fact. I just want to give you testimony so that, so that you can make 
the decision on your own. John knows that people are familiar with the other gospels, so he's just going to give it a little bit different angle. There were several women, yes, that were involved in the tomb. But he focuses on Mary Magdalene. Let's, put, let's pick it up the way that he writes it. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. It literally means that she was weeping uncontrollably. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Don't forget that. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. Verse 15, it says, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Seems to be a common theme that day. Who is it you're looking for? And you can only imagine, Jesus is just trying to contain his laughter. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had told them that he had said these things to her. Reaction number two, aware and forever changed. She is grieving uncontrollably. And you would imagine that the reason she didn't recognize Jesus is number one. Nobody that buried Jesus expected him to come back to life. They'd heard him teach about it for three years, but they didn't understand and comprehend the reality of what it meant. John goes back to that scenario of Lazarus' tomb. He uses the exact same word that describes the mourners at Lazarus' tomb in which they are weeping uncontrollably. That's how Mary is. Her heart was broken. And she's thinking, most likely, I cannot believe this. They have already humiliated and shamed and abused him. And now are they pulling out his body one more time to, to shame him in a different way? So she can't stop crying. But then when Jesus calls her name, she turns to him suddenly. It's a picture of repentance, of turning around. We get the story of what is happening there is she's talking to these angels. She's weeping uncontrollably. She turns around and sees a figure and, and assumes that it's the gardener and asks the question, if you've, if you've taken his body, tell me where it is so I can tend to it. And then she turns back to look at the tomb in just bewilderment of what has happened. And then Jesus calls her name, Mary. And she turns around, completely different perspective. John, G, John would write about that when Jesus said in John 10, 4, that I am the great shepherd and my sheep know my voice. What's unique about Mary is she had heard other voices, real voices. Recall that she had been possessed by seven demons, as recorded in Luke chapter 8. She had heard other voices, and now she heard the voice of God speaking. And when she says, Rabbi, it is the highest statement of honor and reverence. 
Jesus says, as the angels, it's time to quit weeping. It's time to start celebrating. What did she do? She turned around and she grabbed him. Something that we would all do. She never wants to lose him again. She grabs him and holds on to him. And Jesus, in, in some of the translations, it sounds like he's kind of harsh with her. But he says, stop clinging to me. Don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. His mission wasn't quite complete. Redemption had been taken care of, but now he was going to do a little baton pass in which he would return to the Father and he would send the Holy Spirit. He said, the mission is different than you think. I'm not here to be with you presently in body like this forever. Things are changing. Our relationship has changed, and I have a wonderful message for you. It's kind of like the stop, drop, and roll. He says, stop, go, and tell. And what a message he has for the disciples. Notice what it says. It says, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. John would record Jesus saying, Father, 108 times in his gospel. 27 times he would be saying, my Father. 71 times he would say, the Father. But only here in John's gospel does he say, your Father. We are now in a uniquely different relationship. He calls the disciples brothers. Only time that he does that in the gospel. The relationship has changed to what is said in John chapter 1, verse 12, that those who believe in him will be privileged with being called children of God. Her statement when she returns to the disciples is one of absolute certainty. I have seen the Lord. So certain, so certain was she and all the others of followers of Christ that they didn't go back to the tomb to make it a shrine. They simply went to Christ himself. And I want you to see something that is very interesting in this passage. I think John wanted us to see that he's referred to Jesus being the Passover lamb, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Go back and get a picture of where Jesus' body was. And it says, we saw the angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. I think John is trying to tell us something there. It is a picture of the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. You remember in the temple, you would have the mercy seat, and then you have the angels on both sides, the cherubim. And John is saying, here was the mercy seat in which the Lamb of God was laid, but he could not be kept down. The question is, has the fact that Jesus has been risen, has that forever changed you? C.S. Lewis forthrightly wrote, when he was talking about the reality of hell and the great divorce, he said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, I surrender my life to you, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell Choose it, he writes. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. We have the choice. Do we let the resurrection of Jesus Christ change us 
forever, or do we resist against it? Oh, years ago, Francis Chan, talking about in his book, Forgotten God, talks about a story in which he was visiting with his wife, and he had this random thought. If you've ever followed Francis Chan, you know that he has some pretty interesting ways of, of thinking about life. And he asked her if, if she ever wondered what caterpillars thought about. Well, like most of us, she said, no, can't say I have. And then he began to enthusiastically explain what it must be like, the confusion and the joy that must be racing through the tiny head of a little, little caterpillar after it wakes up from a long nap and realizes it can fly. It used to be a plump, lumbering worm that had to inch its way everywhere it went, but now it has a brand new body, beautifully aerodynamic. Would such a creature as that shrug off such a transformation and give it little thought? Well, I don't know what a caterpillar thinks, but the question for us is, are we appropriately thinking about the miraculous transformation that has been given to us, been brought about to us as followers of Jesus Christ who follow a Christ that has been resurrected from the dead? It's really an astonishing truth that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, Chan would write. And we should be thrilled over our spirit-empowered ability to live differently and faithfully. Are you forever changed? Friend, have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Not in a casual way, but have you completely surrendered your life to him? As we talk each week, God loves us and he's created us to have a relationship with him. That's why we have this piece of history, this event, this significant time in which Jesus gave his life to redeem us from our sins because our sins separate us from a holy God. And we have no hope of being in relationship with him. But when we believe in him, we become sisters and brothers in Christ. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. If you've never done that, I pray in the next couple of moments, you'll join me in a prayer to receive Christ. If you're already a Christian, let me ask you the question. Are you living your life more like a caterpillar, inching your way through the terrain, or soaring through the transformation of a risen Christ? Which is it? Let's pray. Oh, and love y'all. Thanks for listening. God, thank you so much for the fact that your resurrection changes everything. It proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are God that has power over life and death itself. You have power over the, over the penalty of sin, which is death. God, that you transform us. Oh, if we could just get a picture of that conversation that you had with Mary hardly containing the laughter as you call her name and calling her from a position of weeping to a posture of joy and celebration and worship. May that describe us as followers of Christ, that we were overcome with the reality of what you have done in our lives and we would be fully surrendered to you. Lord, we recognize that in this room there may be some of our friends, family members who have never received Christ as Lord and Savior. The greatest need of their life a single point in time in which they fully surrendered their life to your grace and forgiveness. If they've never done that, may this be their prayer today. Lord Jesus, 
I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Oh God, as we come into this time of worship and response, time of commitment, may we respond to you in a way that honors you, that glorifies you as our Lord and Savior, our resur resurrected Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. If you prayed to receive Christ in the last few moments, maybe in the last weeks, love for you to come forward and make that public. Jesus doesn't call for anybody of his, any of his followers to be secret, but to express it. Two weeks from now, we'll be back in the sanctuary and we'll be able to baptize again. Maybe you've never been baptized. It's an expression of your commitment to Christ. I would invite you to make your way to the front and say, I want to be baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. This will be a moment in which if you want to become a member of Westgate, we gladly invite you as a follower of Christ to join us in this endeavor. I'll be standing at the front, receive anyone that would like to make their way to the front. And again, during this time of response, we, we, we talk about all that is going on in our culture. All across these walls, the gospel is being sent to all of our senators, to our president, to our vice president, to all House of Representatives, to all those on Capitol Hill. The gospel is going to be shared with them in the coming weeks. Make your way to the front and pray over those names. So let's stand together and respond as God leads us. from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt praise the Forever to 
that stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel shall not faint by his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected me forever to him. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.